Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So you can help me out this morning. A quick thing I want to set up with you. I want to ask you this question first and then we'll come back to it. But I want you to be thinking about who was it in your life that most impacted your faith? Just tuck that away. Who was it in your life? A person could be a family member, but I don't really want to be thinking about a family member. Is there someone in those big moments of your faith journey impacted your life? We're going to come back to that in a second. But if you're joining us this morning, we are starting a new series called The DNA of Faith. Last week, we kicked it off and we learned this, that, uh, that God wants to grow a big faith in you. And even to accept that statement is a hard thing to do because so often we make the mistake of thinking that faith is either on one hand a, a trick, a crutch, something that we use to just lean on when times are tough or at the other end of the spectrum, that it's a talent, that people that do great things for God, they were just wired that way in their physical DNA. And yet what we've been learning last week is that when Jesus cheekily uses the word oligopistoi to describe his, his boys, little faiths, his followers, his boys and, and women, uh, he, when he uses the word little faith, he got what our issue was, that for each of us it's the question around, um, can I really trust God? Um, can I cope? Will I cope when life hits me? Will my faith be big enough when life hits me? And, and, and can you imagine what your life would look like if you had a big faith? Imagine what your life would look like if you absolutely had every confidence in God that when, 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 when life hit and times were tough that you still believe that he had a plan for your life and he will sustain you through this. Can you imagine if you had a big faith where you didn't need to think about where the money was coming from or, or worried about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear as Jesus says, that those things didn't instill fear in you. They were just like, meh, ah. <laughs> so... Can you imagine what life would look like if that was the case? And, and so we learned last week that, that all of the big picture of the Bible is the way that God is trying to bridge this trust issue back again. And Jesus, more importantly, saying, I've come to grow a big faith in you. I've come to grow you up, little faiths. And so this series, the DNA of faith, ties into that because if you're a scientist or you at least know a little bit of high school biology, you know, DNA is our organic building blocks. There are core elements in DNA, the same things, the same building blocks, the same amino acids, the same little things that grow, uh, grow up into all of the diversity that we see organically in front of us this morning. All of us grow into beautifully different people, but fundamentally, at the center of us, at the smallest part of us, we are all made of the same thing that expresses itself differently. And so the analogy is that as you see both uh, in church life and in the life of faith, you might have seen this, that there are often common elements, and we see that in this place, that are the same common building blocks that then emerge over the course of a life of faith to produce beautifully different grown-up faiths. And they're these Five things that we see up here, they are things like practice teaching that we heard last week, that it's the doing that makes the difference. It's purposed relationships that allow us to hear 
uh, through God. And we're going to talk about that this morning. It's, it's personal disciplines that tune uh, our heart into God's heart. It's practical service that shows us how God can work when we feel inadequate in helping other people. And it's pivotal circumstances. And why we're talking about this is we're going to believe that these five things will become the building blocks of our church too. That every believer at Northside, we could trace down to how these things work in our life to grow a big faith. Today I want to talk about the second one. That's purposed relationships. And so that's where we're coming back to the question. Did you, did you think of your person? Um, did you think of who that was? I won't, I won't make you... Put your hands up. I won't even make you turn to the person next to you. It always feels a bit awkward in church when you've got to do that and share with the person next to you. So I just wanted to be front of mind who that person might be. It might have been someone in your childhood. It might have been uh, a a youth pastor in your day. It it might have been someone of influence. For me, uh, my two ones were my, my best mate, Damo. Was, was pivotal in my faith journey, which is weird because he wasn't a Christian. And, uh, and one of my biggest turning points in my faith, in fact, the, the turning point that led me into the ministry really was that I went across to Canada on a working holiday in the hope that I could chase some girls with my um, Aussie accent over there. <laughs> it's my pre-church days. Give me a break. <laughs> Got to have a bit of flexibility. And so I'm, 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 getting all, I'm getting all snazzied up, got the aftershave on, uh, got all the skinny, we didn't have skinny jeans back then, they weren't cool, it was the boot cut over in Canada in those days. And, and I said, let's go hit the nightclub. He was my wingman, we'd go out each Friday night here in a, when he was back home in Australia and I said, let's hit the nightclub. And he, and he said, no, 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 I don't do that anymore. I said, why not? He said, I've become a Christian. And I'm thinking, just my luck. The one time I get to get away from church and for the parents and go crazy for once. And God, you end up giving my, making my non-Christian mate become a Christian. And so instead of the, being at the nightclub on my first ever weekend in Calgary, Alberta, we ended up in church. <sighs> and then when I came back from that, then there was another guy. Some of you know him. His name's Troy Blair. And he was our first ever young adults pastor when there was no more than about three young adults in this church. And, um, and he came out to meet me, which was so weird. Was so weird. You know, I'm like, what? A pastor's going to come out and meet me for lunch? I'm thinking, what have I done? You know, <laughs> who does that? And, and he would meet with me week after week. We developed this relationship. And, and then as we became better mates, every time we would finish, he would say, Sam, I'm praying one day you'll be sitting in my chair. And as a, as a young guy getting ready for corporate life, I'm thinking, yeah, whatever, Troy. You know? <laughs> You're a big man of faith, and he was. And how wonderful that um, we got to share that moment when we handed over the roles and when Troy left and he handed his ministry uh, on to me as our young adults pastor in the early days. So they were my two, and, and haven't you found that time and time again, when it comes to those big junction moments in our faith, that God seems to use people, people to shift us, and grow us. If, if you hear any faith story with people, particularly as a pastor, I hear this, you'll often hear phrases like, oh, well, look, I was just going along and then I bumped into this person and they invited me into church or I met this guy or this girl or they started asking me about this or they started asking me about that or, or then I joined a team or then I found out that uh, my wingman became a Christian when I went to Calgary, Alberta. <laughs> 
isn't it fascinating that so often you feel like it's almost as if God dropped these people into your life at the time in order to shift your faith. Has anyone had that experience? Yeah. So we all seem to know, particularly anyone who's been in the faith, that, that most often the defining moments of our faith involve relationships. Purposed relationships. And this is nothing new, by the way. That's where we had this passage here this morning in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Look at what happened for these two guys. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And then at the same time, God is ordaining all of this. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, said, Ananias, yes, Lord. The Lord said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for, a man, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands onto him to restore his sight. God purposes people to interact with people in order to grow their faith that's what we're learning this morning that's the simple principle and you and I know we've seen it in our lives with those people in our lives that we can easily as we look back almost go there's been a divine appointment right that God has placed them in our life to shift us and change us and as we see throughout the faith it's because no one ever really gets to Jesus on their own Have you found that there always seems to be someone somewhere that God is using to bring them closer to him. And you see it all throughout the book of Acts. You see, remember Philip and the Ethiopian? Even that story, like Philip, Philip is on an evangelistic crusade that sort of makes Billy Graham's stuff look like a small group. And God calls him out of that crusade just to go after one man who's sitting on the back of a chariot out in the middle of the countryside in nowhere. And it brings the guy to faith. Um, you see all sorts of different relationships. Jonathan and David, Naomi and Ruth in the Old Testament, uh, Peter and the people that he interacted with in the book of Acts. And so that is the principle that we see is that the God purposes people to interact with people in order to bring them closer to him. Now, we see it in this passage here. We see it in Acts chapter 9. This is, this is craziness. We see with, with Paul and Ananias. Like the modern day equivalent would be like God saying to a disciple in present day Syria, go to Damascus, which is still there by the way. You can look it up on Google Maps. <laughs> you can look up Straight Street in Damascus. It's still there on Google Earth. It's like saying to a Christian in modern day Syria, go to the leader of that section of ISIS that is about to take the town and put your arm around them and say, Brother, the Lord has sent me here to welcome you. You see how crazy this story is? Whilst Paul was still breathing out what? Murderous threats? This, this is crazy. Now, why has God got to do this? Because God had already done the vision thing, right? So here's the question. Why? Paul had already fallen off his horse, we read. <laughs> He'd already had the blinding light. And then God intersects like this. And so the question is, why, why was God using Ananias in this way? Like, it, it, wouldn't the vision have been enough, class? And, and I'm thinking, maybe not. Maybe if Paul had have just had a vision of Jesus, don't you think it could have been totally reasonable that Paul would have woken up the next day going, you know what, like, may, maybe I had a bit too much wine last night. <sighs> 
Maybe I was just, maybe I just had, oh man, those, those Judean mushrooms, they really, they muck with my head. Whoa, double Jesus. Whoa. <laughs> right? Um, maybe I'm just having some sort of crazy episode in my, you see, if it was vision alone, any of those things would have been quite reasonable. And yet here is a man with the person he was trying to kill, a disciple of Jesus and he, he receives welcome arms and a hand on the shoulder that says, brother. And that's the first thing he feels. Now, I think, here's why I think this is significant. God's purposing of our relationships ensure that, that it provides a conjunction of credibility and plausibility with the Christian faith. Sounds big. Let me just explain what that means. When God purposes these relationships, it, it provides a conjunction of credibility and plausibility for any normal person, any modern person. Maybe it's you thinking this morning about the faith and about Jesus and you get to make a decision. Most modern people and people back then are asking these two questions before they ever trust God. And it's this, how do I know that Christianity is true and how do I know that it works? And on one hand, Paul got his big dose of truth in a one-to-one vision and encounter with Jesus. But it was only until he met the guy he was trying to kill, who in their very first interaction extends arms of love and grace, does Paul finally see not only is this Christianity thing true, but it works. As one commentator said, there was actually two conversions around that road to Damascus both of the Apostle Paul, but of a disciple who could not believe that God is sending him to the leader of ISIS and the ones that he should be running from and yet is converted to extend open arms of love. Can you see how relationships, what they give to people is that they they speak the truth of God to them, but most importantly, they show God. The vision would never have been enough for Paul necessarily, but he experiences the tangible reflection of who God is in the person of Ananias. And it's true for the modern person. One person, if they, they, they have this experience of God, this, this vision of God, they too might be going, how do I know I'm not just being emotional? How do I know that this is not some cult? How do I know that, how do I know that this stuff will work? And yet then when they become part of a community of believers who go through the hardships and the pains and all the things that should knock them over in life and yet they're strong and they're resilient and there's poise and there's strength and there's hope, they hear on one hand that, yeah, maybe Christianity is true, but in the body, in relationship, they see that it works. So it means when you see God's faithfulness in someone else's life, it's easy to be faithful, right? (laughs) So here's the key point from this. Simply this, that God uses human relationships to impact our faith in him. Whether you're a believer for years or whether you're still just checking these things out. So if God uses these relationships, if he purposes these relationships... If he's done it in our lives, then our question is, how do we purpose relationships with other people in our life? Because have you ever considered that if, if God used that person at the front of your mind to impact your faith, have you ever considered that this morning God might be using you in that sort of conjunction to impact the faith of someone else in your life? I think this is something that we can use. 
I, I think this is vitally important because, look, if we've grown up in traditional way of doing church, we think church is simply just about praying and about singing and about turning up on a Sunday, we miss the point that God is ordaining these intersections throughout the generations where he is bringing him to himself through other people. And so as a result, we never really ask that question, how can I use these relationships that I've got in my life for building faith, not just in other people, but in myself? And so I don't want us to miss this. How, how, if, God is, if God is doing this, then how do I use the relationships in my life to build faith in others? A couple of quick ways that we can do this for the practical. You can get your pens out now. <laughs> the first one is this, you do it awkwardly. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can we just be real? That's awkward. (laughs) Not just awkward that he's talking to the ancient version of the leader of ISIS in all this. Paul doesn't know any theology. He doesn't know any of that sort of stuff yet. He doesn't know about the Holy Spirit yet. You know, that's awkward. Like that's the agent equivalent of us walking up to someone and saying, can I introduce you to a great friend of mine, the Lord Jesus Christ? (laughs) Now, here's the point. Um, You grow faith in people. Every God encounter, every relationship starts with an awkward conversation. Can we just throw that out there? Now, the topic's awkward. Just make sure your delivery is not awkward. There's lots of ways you can do that. But you're going to have to have an awkward conversation with someone. Oh, I, I know this is none of my business, but I couldn't help but hear. Or, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't really asked you about this. Or I, I know that you probably don't think I know anything about this, but I, I do know. Have you seen those moments pop up for you in your life? And, and let's be real with each other. What's our biggest barrier to starting a relationship like this? Is We, we feel we're going to look like a bozo. I don't, I don't want to say anything. And, and, and the result is, what do we do? Okay, yeah, Lord, Lord, I pray. I pray that you'll just give them a vision. And I pray, Lord, that you will just, you will, you will come down and, 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 and you, will, you will knock them right out of the seat of their car and onto the ground as they're getting. <laughs> but the, remember, the vision is not enough. So you're always going to have an awkward conversation. But God is using relationships to bring people to him, so you're going to have to have it anyway. You put yourself out there. Uh, you not only do it awkwardly, but you do it environmentally. What I mean, I'm not talking about like you drive a Prius to go and do these sorts of things, you know. I mean, you look at ways that you can merge your spheres of life with those who are yet to hear about God. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know how we all, we all have our different spheres of life. You know how we have our work sphere, then we have our church sphere, then we have our gym or our squash sphere, and then we have our friends sphere, and then we have sub-spheres within the friends spheres, don't we, depending on what type of friends. <laughs> you get the point? So one of the most powerful ways that you can impact the faith of a person is to merge the spheres of your life. What are some of the ways that you can invite people across that particular barrier now by the way i'm not saying i invite people to church so often when we hear these sorts of messages here we go sam's telling us we're going to invite everyone to next sunday it's going to be amazing no uh if you just invite them to a sunday that's just hearing that's just hearing truth that's not the plausibility bit 
That's, that's just credibility. That's not the pausability. It's thinking about ways that you can... Uh, are there ways that you can invite your work friends into a social setting when you're at Balmoral with the rest of your friends from church? Are there ways that you can invite a friend or two from church into a social setting when you're out with someone else? See how, see how that happens? You look at ways that you can cross your sphere. And we see that up there when Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. What was that? It was a crossing of the spheres. This was a guy we would never interact with. And yet Ananias brings him in. Here's the last one. You do it momentarily. Verse 18. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once... He began to preach to the, in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. Saul spent, here question class, comprehension. How long did Saul spend with Ananias? Several days. Maybe a week. Maybe a week. Have a look at this from Acts chapter 22. This is Paul in a dock defending himself. Jailed. He's telling his story And he says, about noon I came to Damascus, suddenly the bright light comes, heaven flashes around me, I fall off my horse. Who are you, Lord, I ask? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting, he replies. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice who was speaking to me. What shall I do? Go to Damascus, says Jesus. And then a man named Ananias came to see me, and he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul... Receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. You know, when Paul was saying that, 20 something years later, how long did he spend with Adonis? A week. And he never forgot him. And he went on to do incredible things. The Apostle Paul, Time magazine says, is perhaps the most influential person in history outside of the person of Jesus Christ. This Apostle Paul, from Saul to Paul, is the guy that F.F. Bruce, uh, as a commentator of the scriptures, says, if there ever is proof that Christianity is a divine religion, it is the conversion of Saul to Paul. This is a guy who, who were the recipients of his ministry this morning as he went out to the Gentiles. And so if you asked Paul this morning and he was sitting there, can you think of that person? Who was that person that impacted your faith? Who was that person that did something amazing and grew your faith and set you on that right path? Who would his answer be? Ananias. Ananias. You do it momentarily. What it means for for you is this this morning. Not every encounter you have with someone needs to be some big conversion moment. You're not, trying to, you're not trying to get the car started and having it at 100 kilometers an hour within the first hour. You know what I mean? <laughs> there are multiple steps and multiple roles to play in people's life. And really, the only question we need to be asking ourselves is, how do I help this one person move one step closer to Jesus Christ? You're not out there trying to convert them. And if you were, the problem with that is they start becoming projects. But we're there to love people because we love Jesus and and we want to be obedient to Jesus and we want them to know Jesus. And we believe that Jesus is sending you and I into their spheres in order to move them closer to him. And so maybe even just for a moment, it might be a word, it might be a conversation, maybe it would be a relationship of 15 years. Who knows? God will determine that. But you do this momentarily, awkwardly, environmentally, 
momentarily. <laughs> you know, some of you are thinking this morning, well, this, this doesn't apply to me. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of these Christians. You know, someone, someone just dragged me along here. <laughs> this is not for me. <laughs> All I want to say to you this morning, if you were just checking Christianity out, is how did you end up here? Why are you here? How did that happen? And if you trace it back, I bet you for more than most, it's because of someone. And maybe just simply the question that you could be asking this morning is, who is God bringing into my life at the moment? You might be crying out, where is God in all of this? Where is God in my life circumstance? You like that joke that is so common in Christian circles about the person stuck on a roof in a flood. You've heard that one? Yeah. Someone sends the boat, someone sends the helicopter and the person eventually drowns and says, God, where are you? And God said, well, I sent you a boat and I sent you a helicopter. Who is it, if you are still checking this thing out, that God might be sending to you like an Ananias this morning? If there is someone like that in your life, that might be the one proof that God is present in your life this week. And for the rest of us, I know what you and I think. We think like this. Well, I'm not a Paul. I could never do anything like that. You know what's happening when we talk like that? First of all, we're treating faith as a talent. Oh, Paul just had an extra dose of the Holy Spirit because he got a vision of Jesus. Friends, in all that we see here and all that we see here, we get a far clearer picture and vision of Jesus than the Apostle Paul ever did on the road to Damascus. And so we go, I'm not a Paul, I can't do that. But that as a side note, here's my point this morning. God can make another Paul. What did he say to Ananias? This guy is my chosen instrument. God crafted him like a violin to the Gentiles. God can make a Paul like that. But God in the deep mystery of whatever the heck is going on here on earth is this. That he has to rely on the obedience of the humble follower of Jesus. He said to Ananias, go. And I had that teetering moment where Ananias said, uh, God, sorry, if you just, this dude's like leading ISIS. You sure you got the right guy? And, you know, it's not like God went, oh, sorry. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know Paul was that bad. Sorry, don't go there, Ananias. Gonna... God can make a Paul, but he relied on an Ananias and his obedience to go. And so, as the, the great preacher, the prince of preachers, C.H. Spurgeon once said, C.H. Spurgeon, he was one of the best, the biggest preachers that ever lived back in the 1800s. Walter Thornbury wrote in Old and New London in 1897 about his church. He said, Spurgeon's congregation consisting of 10,000 souls streaming into the hall, mounting the galleries, humming, buzzing, swarming, a mighty hive of bees, easy, easy to secure the first and the best places and the last at any place at all after waiting for more than half an hour. For if you wish to have a seat, you must be there at least that space in time and advance that Mr. Spurgeon ascended his tribune. The Prince of Preachers, C.H. Spurgeon, and Spurgeon says this, it was a splendid work that Ananias did that morning, for to this day, the testimony of Paul to the cross of Jesus Christ is ringing all over the world. 
Where would we have been as a nation if it had not been for the apostle of the Gentiles, our Lord Jesus Christ, pleased, was pleased to raise up Paul an especially in, useful instrument of blessing to the sons of men, but for it not be first for the work of Ananias. And then by, um, if any of you guys know my story, by a twist of fate in all of this, the Prince of Preachers, he's one of my favourites, C.H. Spurgeon, and my uncle gave me this devotion. And then in the front of it, we've got this weird, weird little cut out of our family tree. And then it said, John Haddon, 1744 to 1818, became a minister of the Baptist Church in Longbuckby, 1769, and later joined the Baptist at Clipston. And therefore, forming an association between the Haddon family and the Clipston Baptist Chapel, which continues to the present day, a tablet to his memory was created there at the chapel. John Haddon educated the father of the evangelist, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And the son's name was an expression of gratitude, not relationship. And so the family folklore goes that for the prince of preachers, great, 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 great grandpa John was the Ananias to Spurgeon's dad. And one wonders if it could have been the words and the seeds sown by that Ananias to that young student over their time together that would then get reflected to a son in devotion by his bedside at night until that moment in which God, if you know Spurgeon's story, hit him like the road to Damascus and he would become one of the great prince of preachers. God's not looking for another Paul this morning. He's looking for a couple of hundred and a nigh and I. <laughs> Go then, brothers and sisters. For you don't know what is within every man and woman and child that you will encounter this week. A pearl fisher dives into the ocean hoping that, that what they might find will be a treasure that will one day adorn the emperor's crown. And as rugged and as rough as they might seem, there is a deep hope that why should their choice be no more wonderful than anyone else's. You don't know what treasure is held within every person that you will converse with this week. And maybe, just maybe, God is sending you to have an awkward conversation <laughs> with the next C.H. Spurgeon, Prince of Peaces, or maybe even the next Paul. Let's pray. Lord, impress upon our hearts this morning both the wonder and the joy that it is to partner with you. Lift our minds to the reality of the picture that is in front of each and every one of us as we move from this place this morning. Father, as we head out of here and we think that we are to lunch, we think that we're going to interact with a service station attendant as we fill up with fuel, we think that we're back to schools, we think that we're back to social circles. Lord, each of these situations, maybe even a conversation over coffee today, would be the one that we would be totally unaware of, but that you are ordaining in the pages of eternity that would be the conversation that would shift someone's faith for the rest of their life. Renew in us, Father, a wonder and a fervor to do this, not out of duty or obligation or even fear or guilt but with a great wonder of the mystery that it is that right now in this moment, the corner of Oxford Street and Pole Lane, you have called us to partner with you 
to be in relationship with people that you are drawing to you. Work through us, Father, I pray. Be ahead of us. Prepare these moments. Have our eyes open to them. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to work in the awkwardness, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.